0: Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how there is only one true gospel of grace and how that gospel is grace, not legalism. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: Good morning, Missio family. How are we doing today? Wonderful. Wonderful. The sun's out. I went outside and like shoveled in a t-shirt and it felt good. Got a little vitamin D, right? So I wanted to just mention, if you saw something large in the back of the room that's orange and has wheels on it, the grill is here, right? Let's give God a little hand clap of praise for that. I know I mentioned it a couple weeks ago and made big promises that it would be here and then it wasn't because I broke down uh, in Sioux City, Iowa, and it's a long story. But anyway, the grill is here now, and somebody donated that to our church family because they wanted to bless us. And so it's a huge uh, blessing to us, and I hope that it will be a ministry tool that gets lots of use. So just know that's for everybody to use, and we're going to use it a lot this summer. Can't wait till it warms up a little bit more so that we can roll it outside and start cooking some food. So we started a series last week, Galatians, and uh, Jim, my friend Jim, was here and shared kind of an overview, but today we're going to be starting at the very beginning of the book, and we're going to work through Galatians kind of methodically, a little more than some of the other message series that we've done, um, but we, we, we live in a world where people like to call their, their own shots, right? We live in a world where people like to say what's right and wrong. Anybody experience this? You know, people like to say, well, this is okay, that's not okay, and you go on social media and everybody's arguing about what's right and wrong, and and everybody just kind of wants to call the shots. They want to to be the the deciders of their own morality, their own righteousness. And we see this all the time. We have cancel culture, right? If you disagree with somebody, cancel. And everybody's getting canceled over things because, you know, they want to be the final say, the final authority. This isn't really a new problem, though. As much as we've seen it lately with cancel culture and people arguing on social media, people have always wanted to kind of call the shots in their life and decide what's right and wrong. You might remember a certain newlywed couple. They uh, like to walk around in the nude and hang out with animals in the garden. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Adam and Eve, right? So they were uh, this, the first humans. God created them, and he had a relationship with them. And he said, You can do anything you want to do in this garden. Eat all the fruit and hang out and have a good time, but don't eat from the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did pretty good for a while. We don't know how long, but eventually they saw that tree, and then the serpent came and said, Hey, you should really eat of this because God's holding out on you and God's lying to you, basically. You need to, to eat of this fruit for yourself. So they did, they ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they introduced sin and rebellion into the picture. And ever since, people have been trying to manage the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And so we do the same thing. We want to we be in charge of what's right and wrong. And so, but the thing is, God is the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate one who gets to say what's right and wrong. Now, we have laws in our society. We know, we know this. You just can't go out and kill your neighbor, murder him, and, you know, maybe you get away with it. But more than likely, you're going to prison. Or if you embezzle uh, money from your company, you steal, you're going to go to prison. Like we know there's laws that govern our society. And as long as we follow those laws, we're okay. If we don't break the law, we stay out of jail. If we break the law, we might go to jail, right? Pretty easy. And so that's fairly black and white for most people. But then there's a lot of other areas of life where we want to decide what's okay, what's not okay. Well, that person's wrong. This is okay. That's wrong. And, and we get into this judging and, and really um, deciding the law for ourselves. The thing is, though, we've all broken God's law. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 tells us that. And so um, we, we find ourselves in a place where we have broken God's law, and maybe you're sitting here today saying, I don't know if I've broken God's law. Anyone here ever not told a lie? If you've never lied, raise your hand if you've never lied. See, that was a test If you raise your hand, you're lying right now, (laughs) right? Because we've all told a lie at some point in our lives. Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, it's the same as murder. Wow. So basically, it's really easy for us to break God's law, right? We all have done it. God says you're guilty. And so we understand that the human condition is broken and sinful. We're guilty of breaking God's law. But then when we talk about the church and Christianity, we talk about this word grace. And we're gonna hear a lot about grace throughout the book of Galatians. I'm just warning you right now. So either it makes you happy or maybe, I don't know, nervous. But um, as Christians, we love to talk about grace, being saved by grace. And it's, it's, uh, I like to say grace is the, is the church's favorite doctrine that they really don't believe. And I'll explain what I mean more by that in a minute. But you could go around town And probably find 20 churches that would affirm salvation by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, right? And and so we'd say, yeah, that's how a person is made right with God. We've broken his law. We apply Jesus' righteousness to ourselves, grace. And we have a relationship with God. And many, many churches, you could go around and find many churches that would agree with that doctrine. But it's a lot less uh, common to go around and find a church that actually has a culture of grace. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, a culture where you, you you can walk in and, and just be yourself, and you don't feel like you have to put on a mask. You don't feel like you have to perform, and you don't feel like you have to live up to some standard that other people are putting on to you. A culture of grace says, "Take the mask off. You don't have to prove anything here." And if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. And if you've been to other churches where um, there's this expectation of perfection, you know what that feels like too. It doesn't feel very good. But we love the word grace. Churches put it in their name, you know. I went online and Googled this and there was like, oh my goodness, so many different iterations of churches with the word grace. We have Grace Church and Grace Community Church and Grace Community Fellowship Church and um, you know, the list goes on and on. They just keep adding words to it. There's even a church in town, Grace Point, Right? And as I was thinking about church names, it's funny back in the early 2000s, you guys remember um, if you had the word point in your name, they put a little E on the end, like that somehow made it more relevant. I don't know, maybe you guys don't remember that, but like Grace Point, Life Point, and it seems like a Canadian thing to do. No offense to any Canadians here, but uh, anyway, what am I talking about? Okay, Grace. (laughs) Take the mask off, right? In a culture of grace, we get to take the mask off. So, I want to talk a little bit about legalism. What is legalism? Where does it come from? So we, we know that a person comes to faith in Jesus. They receive salvation by grace, right, through faith. And then they have this relationship with God where it's like, man, God, I can't believe that you sent your son to die for me. I can't believe the gospel is so good. And there's this, there's this heart of like sincerity and devotion and love and then quickly, for many people, they, they turn from that point of salvation and they say, well, now i got to start doing stuff. Now i got to start performing for my righteousness. And it doesn't help that sometimes we have older, more mature brothers and sisters in the faith who say, we well, got to do this and you got to do that. And we start laying out a list of things that we have to do and we move away from where we first started with Jesus, where we just accepted his gift of salvation and we said, that's enough. And we start adding a bunch of rules to it. Right, and so that's what we call legalism. Now, the law—if if you want to go back even further—the law originated with God. God gave his his people, the chosen people of Israel, the law. And if if you think about Moses, if you've ever heard of the guy named Moses, right? He took the people of Israel out of Egypt. They went out and marched around in the desert for a while, and then eventually God called Moses up onto Mount Sinai, and he gave them. Uh, the Ten Commandments. He came down with these Ten Commandments, and that was where they started learning how to live God's ways. Now, later on, he gave him the, Mos- or the uh, Levitical law, and the people then had rules about what they could and couldn't eat. Don't eat that animal. You can eat this animal. Don't touch this, you know. And And then ways of worship. God's holy. And so he says, People of Israel, if you're gonna have a relationship with me, we're gonna have some boundaries here. You can't just go marching into the Holy of Holies. You have to, you know, approach me with a certain respect because I'm holy. God says, I'm holy. I don't allow sin to remain in my presence, and so there's a bit of an issue because all y'all are sinners, and we need to have a relationship. And so he had the law. And so the law was given to the people of Israel to show them, first of all, what God was like, his nature, that he's holy but also to reflect their sinfulness. That they were in need of help. They couldn't just approach God on their own. And so for hundreds of years, the people of Israel kept the law. Well, kind of. I mean, if, if you've read scripture, you know that the, in the Old Testament, they didn't do a very good job. They regularly made mistakes and then they drift away from the law and pretty soon they're worshiping idols and they're you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff and God would continually bring them back. He says, I want a relationship with you and I'm going to correct you as my children and bring you back to me. That, that was God's heart for his people, Israel. And so we talk about this idea of legalism. For some, it's literal. We're trying to keep the Old Testament law. We're trying to still do things that were part of the Old Covenant. But then for other people, it's like, well, we're not so much trying to do that. We just want some rules, we just want to add some rules on top of this thing called Christianity, right? And there was a group of people in Jesus' day called the Pharisees, and they loved to do this. We're just going to stack a few extra rules on top of this, make it super hard for everybody else to have a relationship with God because it's going to be impossible. And so Jesus challenged the Pharisees because their hearts weren't in it. They had rules, but their hearts, there's like, here, here's this checklist, do all this stuff, but their hearts weren't loving God. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment. And then he says, if you even go back to the 10 commandments, what's the first, ten, uh, first of the 10 commandments? You should have no other gods before me. It's heart stuff. It's, it's worship stuff. And so Jesus challenged the Pharisees. This is what he said in Mark 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Hmm. The Pharisees taught man-made ideas as if they were from God. They like to make rules. They like to stack up some extra um, expectations on people. And so God gave the people of Israel the law because he wanted a relationship with them. He wanted them to know what he was like. But then Jesus comes along, and Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that none of us could live, sinless. Jesus then goes to the cross, lays down his life, dies on the cross for us, the death, the punishment that we really deserve. And then Jesus rose from the grave and he said, I conquered death. I conquered sin. It's done. By the way, that old covenant, I fulfilled it. There's a new one now, and it's called grace changes everything. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace means I did nothing to deserve it and I don't earn it. Grace is a big deal. It's a game changer. So the Apostle Paul had established churches in Galatia. And when when he writes here, it's actually multiple churches. There's different towns there but he refers to them as the Galatians. So Paul planted churches there and he established these people in their faith and they understood the gospel of Jesus they understood grace hey it's it's easy it's a free gift you just accept it and they understood that at first but then things started to get a little more complicated and they started to believe wrong teachings and we're going to read what it says here in Galatians 1 so if you have a bible Galatians 1 we're going to read the first 10 verses or a bible app otherwise I think we'll have it on the screen as well And we have said it before. Now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He said it two times. Kind of important, right? Just take note of that. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul starts his letter to the Galatians by, first of all, just asserting who he is. He says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle not by man. God chose me to be an apostle. And Paul often does this in his letters. He he gives his credentials. He talks about his background. And it's not coming from a place of pride. Paul's not trying to puff himself up and prove how great he is. He's just trying to give credibility to his message. He's saying, God put me in this position to teach you, to give you the truth. And so Paul knows that there have been false teachers coming in to the churches of Galatia and teaching a different gospel. So Paul needs to assert his authority as an apostle of God, I'm here, I've taught you the truth, you know the truth, and you can believe me. They were undermining the messenger. That's, that's really what these false teachers were doing. They're saying, who's Paul? Who's this guy Paul? He's not even one of the original 12. He's this like afterthought, you know? He's self-appointed, he's an, imp- an imposter, he's a poser. And so they were trying to undermine Paul's authority so that they could change the message. They could introduce the law. And so they, they came in and they started telling the people in the churches of Galatia that grace isn't enough. Salvation by grace, nah, that, that's, that's easy. That's, we, need to, we need to add some rules to this. And so they were telling them that they needed to be circumcised and to keep the whole law of Moses. Now I'm sorry, but as an adult guy, like, you tell me what now? we got to do circumcision? I don't, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. But they, they believed it, and they thought, well, we want to be right with God, so we're going to do whatever it takes. And it seemed like a good idea, and so they started to believe this faulty teaching of the false teachers. So they undermined his authority. And, and why does all this matter? Why does it matter that Paul is asserting who he is and his credentials? Because Paul knew that there was a battle for truth going on. He knew that in the Galatian churches that he had to battle for the truth. He had to remind them of the gospel because uh, there are other forces at play here that want to undo his teaching. Is it any different for us today? There's still a battle for truth going on. There's still people giving us conflicting messages. Well, this is how you have a relationship with God. No, this is how you have a relationship with God. And you can go even just denomination by denomination and start to see some different teaching. And Paul says the gospel is simple. It's very simple and it doesn't change. So that battle for truth is going on. And so for the people in the early church, they were no longer trusting the truth of the gospel, the the simplicity of grace, and they're wanting to add to it. They began to trust the wrong messenger, and so as a result, the wrong message. Have you ever had a, a piece of clothing, like say a shirt, and you get like a loose thread on it? And you know what you should do. You should go get the scissors and just snip that thing off. But if you do what I do, you start pulling on it, and you just kind of see what happens. And that thing gets longer and longer, and, and then at some point you quit pulling on it. But could you imagine if you had like a knit sweater on, and you had that loose thing, and you kept pulling, you kept pulling, you kept pulling, just to see what happens? Well, pretty soon it wouldn't be a shirt anymore. It'd be like a washcloth. It'd be like a little piece of fabric. And that's kind of like what was happening with Paul. They knew he was the loose thread. If they could keep pulling him and pulling him out of the picture, then pretty soon the gospel doesn't look like the gospel anymore. It's something totally different. And so if Paul's credibility could be questioned, then his message could be as well. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Do we trust the authority of God's word as truth? Or do we look elsewhere for truth? Do we start to believe what maybe uh, grandma told us or my friend told me about God and we start to piecemeal our theology together based on movies and books and all these different competing voices and we can look for truth in all different places? Or do we come back and say, no, God's word is truth and this is where we find it and everything else has to basically fall into line with that. Not everything that we learn from our friends or relatives is accurate. It's not all true. The gospel gets distorted. So we talked about this battle for truth going on and Paul knew that the truth of the gospel was under attack and so he says in verse six and seven, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's saying there isn't another gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth. You don't get to like, make your own version of it. And that's what these teachers were doing. We don't get to redefine the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his gospel. It's not ours to meddle with. The gospel, the power of the gospel is this. We know this. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, sinless. And he died on the cross for our sins, laid down his life. And then he rose again victorious over sin and death and anyone who puts their faith and their trust in him john 3 16 for god so loved the world that any, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life So that's simple that's the power of the gospel it changes us saves us transforms us we don't get to add to it we don't get to meddle with it so we're justified before god not because of anything that we do but because of what Jesus did for us. And the Galatians originally knew that. They knew that at first when Paul first uh, introduced them to the gospel, but then they started to drift. And they started to distort the gospel, and they started to believe they needed to do extra things on top of that to be right with God. They distorted the gospel. You can't make it better by adding to it. It's already good news. My grandpa used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We don't need to fix the gospel. We don't need to add to it. It ain't broke, nothing wrong with it. So grace and law in verse 8 through 10, Paul gives a strong warning. He says, "But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It's kind of a big deal. He's he's saying it two times, right? And he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He said, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this to please people. I'm God's servant. And and I want to make sure that you understand the gospel clearly. The good news does not change. But yet people want to be in charge of their own righteousness. Anybody else here kind of relate to that a little bit? We understand the truth of the gospel and how we're saved, but yet, eh, that was a long time ago. Now I feel like I need to do some things to manage my own righteousness, and God might be a little more pleased with me if I do this, or if I do that. God will love me just a little bit more, bless me just a little bit more, if we start heaping some rules on top of it. Paul talked about this in Colossians, too. He said in Colossians 2.20, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So basically, if we have a lot of discipline in our lives and we say, well, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that, and it might seem like godliness to us, but it's really not. Because it's, it's about the heart, right? It's not about following rules. Outward religious practices don't impress Jesus. They never have. They never will. Ask the Pharisees. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees in, in Mark 7. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Because again, that was part of their law, certain foods, right? He went on, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus told them, it, 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 it's what's in your heart that matters most. Now, does Jesus want us to obey? Absolutely. And don't hear that I'm saying, just free for all, do whatever you want. Like, but the heart motivation matters. Where does it come from? Is it coming from a place of earning God's love and acceptance? Or is it saying, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I'm so grateful. And I'm going to live in your ways. Because here's the thing with obedience. It's not about earning righteousness, It's about living the best possible way God intended for us. When we obey, we get to live the best possible way. Everything else is a lie. I don't know if we realize that. I think sometimes we think, oh, it's just a list of, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, you get to do those things. And when you live that way, you're blessed because it's God's design for us. And anything else that we try to do that that is contrary to that is a lie. And we have bought into it. So the motivation matters. With legalism, the heart is wrong. The heart attitude is focused on externally changing the behavior. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But the heart's devoid of it. We think if I do this or if I don't do that, God will love and accept me. Basically, more right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. That's a little math problem for you. That's that's legalism right there. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. It's legalism, that's not true, okay, so just make sure you note that. And we, we can be pretty hard on the Galatians, we can think, man, well, they're just a, why, why could they so quickly move away from the gospel and go to the law? But we all have this desire inside of us to, to manage our own righteousness. Remember we talked about it at the beginning? We want to manage the knowledge of good and evil. We want to say what's right and wrong. We want to be in charge of our own righteousness, I had a, um, a conversation with an elder from one of the previous churches that I worked at, and this had happened way, way a long time ago, years before. And he told me how they were going through their constitution, and they were talking about policies that they had. And it was like a hundred-page document; it was, it was ridiculous. But there was a policy in the policy in the constitution about the use of alcohol, and the policy read that any member of this church has zero tolerance—you know, we, zero tolerance for any alcohol use whatsoever. And it was in there for many years, and then a number of the people in the congregation started to say, well, is this really biblical? Like, how is this, how do we see this in scripture? And so they had a business meeting, and it kind of became this big whole thing, and everybody's proof texting verses out of context, and, you know, trying to argue their points like like people do. Um, And so this one gentleman came to the elder, and he said, I want to talk to you about this policy, because it failed, the vote failed, it stayed. And he said, I want to tell you why I think it's right. And the elder was a Sunday school teacher, very versed in the word. And he sat down with the guy. He said, all right, let's just look at some scriptures. And so they did. And they went through it. And the elder told him, he said, I don't think that you can support um, your position that it's absolutely not okay for any Christian to use alcohol in scripture. He said, that's what I see. He said, I, I, obviously, drunkenness is a sin. We know that. But he said, I just don't see that it's so black and white as much as this guy wanted it to be. And so the guy got a little flustered, and he realized he wasn't getting anywhere trying to prove it through scripture. So he said, "Well, uh, I just think we need some more rules." And the elder, just blown away, he said, "What? You just think we need more rules?" And that was the guy's heart. He said, because basically he had a conviction, and that's fine if he doesn't want to use alcohol. That's that's his choice. But he wanted to affirm his decision onto the whole church and make it a rule that nobody else in the church could use alcohol, even in moderation, that it was just absolutely wrong and he was gonna dictate that and he was okay with that. We need some rules. Wow. And some of us like to live that way. We want everything black and white. We want some rules so that we can check it off. Yep, did that, didn't do that. Oh, look at her, she's breaking the rules. Look at him. That's a heart of legalism. Grace says, you don't have to live that way. We get to live free. The gospel frees us from the law, whether it's the Mosaic law or even just the rules that people want to dump on us that aren't biblical, right? The Pharisees did that, and it continues today. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, hmm, I, I don't know, you're pushing my buttons. I like rules. Some of us like rules. I mean, it's just, it's a reality. And some of you are sitting here today going, yeah, grace. I like grace. Well, grace isn't a license to sin, Right? But for some of us, we've hung on to legalism for a long time. It's become our safe little box. We can live in it, and it feels pretty good because I know know where the the boundaries are. Fortunately, there's some gray areas in Scripture. And it's okay that we live by the Spirit, and we, we go with our conscience sometimes, right? So if you're not sure where you're at, I want to give you a couple of contrasting pictures of legalism and grace. Maybe this will help you understand a little bit More of where we're going with this. So, legalism says your good works will make God pleased with you. Grace says God is already pleased with you because you trust in the finished work of Jesus. Legalism says you should rate people based on their personal holiness. Grace says you get to live free of ranking people's sin against your own. Legalism says, you need to be better. Why can't you stop sinning? Grace says, you don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. See, living in grace is free. It's the way God intended us to live. The gospel is good news. It frees us from all of that stuff that we put on each other and we put on ourselves and the shame that we live under with. But unfortunately, so many people, Christians They understand the gospel at first, like the Galatians. Oh, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. But then immediately we start to turn it back into law. Well, this is then I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. And we start trying to manage our own righteousness. I titled this message, We Need Some Rules. And it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, thinking of that guy and that story. But for some of us, we want rules. For some of us, we need to learn how to let go of that, that heart and that mindset. Because we can know Jesus and we can know grace, but then little by little we make our righteousness a reflection of how good we're doing, right? Rather than the reality that Jesus' righteousness is now ours. It's a totally different way of living. We all have a a legalist inside waiting to take over. It's right there. There's a quote from an author named John Lynch I want to share with you. It says, grace is a gift only the non-religious can accept. They're the only ones who can understand it and put it to use. Religious folks see grace as soft and weak. So they keep trying to manage their junk with willpower and tenacity. Nothing defines religion quite as well as attempting impossible tasks with limited power, all the while pretending that it's working. We're not going to change without grace. We're not going to change by willpower and trying to keep some list of rules, some law. Missio, it's my desire for this church that we foster a culture of grace, that we understand it personally, that we don't move away from it like the Galatians did. We say, thank you, Jesus. His grace is given to us every day. It's not just at the point of salvation. Maybe you've been a Christian for 20, 30 years. And you've forgotten what grace feels like. But it's my heart and my desire for this church to be a people who understand grace and we have a culture of grace. We receive it, we live in it, and we extend it to other people. And that when anyone comes around Missio people, they say, there's something different about you guys. I don't have to wear a mask when I come around you. Anybody here like wearing masks? I don't. I did it for a lot of years. I'm done with that. So I love this book, I love Galatians, and it's, we're going to be talking about grace for a while, so I hope you're okay with that, because here's the thing, we talk about it one time, it doesn't always stick, does it? And so we're going to be working through this book together, and this morning we're going to share communion, and so I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and then the team's going to come, and we're going to have communion, and I just want to emphasize this. As you take the the bread and the juice, it's a reflection of Jesus' body that's broken and his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. Just take a moment, thank him for grace. Thank him that there's nothing that we can do to earn righteousness. So we can stop with the striving. We can stop with the trying to earn and just rest. You are fully loved and accepted because of what Jesus did on the cross not anything that we bring to the table today. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for grace and Lord that we can't earn, we can't improve on the gospel. It's good news. And so Lord, forgive us when we try to bring our own righteousness to the table. We try to heap a bunch of rules on top of uh, what you've already done and we think, man, if I just do all this stuff, then God's just going to love me a little bit more. The reality is we're fully loved. We're fully accepted, justified because of Jesus. He said, it is finished. He didn't say it's mostly done as long as they do some good works. He said, it is finished. Let us just rest in that today. And God, shape us into the people you want us to be, a people who love well who love each other and show grace to one another and show grace to everyone we come in contact with. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name,
0: Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Grace says, take off the mask. You don't have to prove anything here. The greatest commandment, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Undermining the messenger. False teachers were trying to discredit Paul's teaching. There was a battle for truth happening. Distorted gospel. We don't get to refine the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's gospel. It's not ours to meddle with. We are justified before God, not because of anything we do, but because of what Jesus did for us. No one can improve the gospel. It's already good news. We can't make it better by adding law to it. With legalism, the heart is wrong. Then we start to believe more right behavior and less wrong behavior equals godliness. Legalism says your good works will make God pleased with you, but grace says God is already pleased with you, not because of anything you did, but because you trust in the finished work of Jesus. Legalism says you should rate people based on their personal holiness. Grace says you get to live free of ranking people's sin against your own. Legalism says, you need to be better. Why can't you just stop sinning? Grace says, you don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. Living in grace is free. And the way that God intended for us to live. Unfortunately, many Christians do not know how to live in grace. Thanks for listening, Missio family. We hope to see you next week as we continue our study through Galatians.